Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. The FT. Decades of rapid growth have created a new middle class in the developing world, prompting multinational companies to invest heavily in emerging markets as they attempt to serve millions of new consumers. The rising inequality and slowing growth has presented a risk to this new middle class and is forcing companies to rethink their strategy. Joining me down the line is Sean Donnan, the FT's World Trade Editor, and with me in the studio is James King, Emerging Markets Editor. Sean, let's start with you. What exactly is the middle class in the developing world? It's a different concept from the one we use here in Europe. That's a huge and and very important question. It's also one that is a a huge source of debate. The middle class in in the rich world has its own connotations wherever you go. So in the U.K., we talk about the same middle class that you do in the U.S. It tends to be a broader view of the middle class sometimes in the U.S. But in the emerging world, it's essentially it's shorthand for that moment when a person or a group of people rise out of poverty and reach financial security, that point where they're able to survive financial shocks without going back into poverty. Now, where you put that line is a focus of intense debate in the development community. The Asian Development Bank a few years ago said, actually, you hit that point at $2 a day. There are others who argue that it's closer to $10 a day. Wherever you put that starting point, the fact is is that there are millions of people who have risen out of poverty below that $2 a day line in the last 30 years, and that that's been an astonishing story. But then the question becomes, what happens next? And that's why we're so interested in that middle class class or why we should be so interested in that middle class. And in the series the FT is running this week, we talk about a fragile middle. Can you define that for us? So what we set out to do a few months ago when we were conceiving this was to look at, okay, if the great story of the last 30 years in development has been the creation of this emerging markets middle class, what happens when these emerging economies slow down? And more importantly, perhaps, where is this middle class? How is that middle class segmented nowadays by income or by consumption? And what we did when we, when we started running the numbers, what we started discovering was that a huge amount of that middle class was sitting between 2 and $10 a day. And we decided to call that a fragile middle because if you start breaking that down and looking at the lives that those people live on between 2 and $10 a day, you discover that they aren't wholly members of the middle class, as you would. And that's why they are a, a fragile middle in the world. And what's astonishing is when you look at the world, and look at the emerging economies out there, you discover that actually that fragile middle accounts for 2.8 billion people or 40% of the global population. James, clearly the prospects for these 2.8 billion people are tied to the prospects for the countries they live in. And it's been a difficult year for emerging markets with the IMF last week warning about the consequences for growth over the next couple of years. How's the outlook looking? 
As you say, it is looking like it could be a fairly difficult year for emerging markets. It really rather depends on which part of the emerging world you you live in. Particularly pertinent to this is the fact that today, China, which obviously is the most populous of the emerging markets, found that its gross domestic product slowed quite considerably in the second quarter of the year. This is very important for the emerging world because it has knock-on effects. Much of the emerging world has seen its fortunes rise and fall depending on commodity demand, particularly commodities like metals, which China imports a huge amount of. And therefore, when Chinese growth starts to moderate, we have seen and probably will continue to see metal demand also moderate. So there are several countries which do appear to be particularly vulnerable going forward. Those in in Africa, for instance, Zambia, Ghana, South Africa, all of which export quite a lot of, of metal commodities to China. In Latin America, Chile, Peru, Brazil, those countries as well export a lot in the way of metal commodities. So the fragile middle in those countries is also vulnerable to sudden reversals of fortune, given that those sectors of the economy, the big commodity sectors, the mining sectors, are major employers of people right slap bang in the middle of this fragile middle. Clearly, emerging markets have blamed external factors for this slowdown. You've mentioned China, but another one is the tapering of monetary policy in the West and particularly in the US. But the IMF in particular has emphasized how to kickstart growth in this country and make sure that the fragile middle is not dragged back under the poverty line. It's important that government pursue vigorous reforms, which have altered over the past few years. What exactly are the most important reforms in your view? I think important reforms would be particularly, again, mentioning the example of China, would be helping middle-class people in emerging markets to gain a fairly strong purchase on life in the big cities. And in China, this is a really big topic because there are 270 million migrant workers in China who live in cities, but they have no urban residence permit. And that means that they're not eligible for social welfare within those cities. They're not eligible to have their kids educated in those cities. And so they are really living a very tenuous existence. They're only a wage away from having to return from the city to the countryside and and thereby lose their footstep on the ladder of advancement in Chinese society. So it's that type of issue, I think, that governments should be considering, not just in China, but across the emerging world. However, economic growth will not do on its own, some argue. And uh, Sean, I was going to ask you about the issue of inequality in developing countries, because one of the great successes, some economists argue, over the past few decades has been the reduction of global inequality, thanks to the growth performance of developing countries. But inequality within countries, including emerging markets, is starting to increase. And that's a worrying sign, isn't it? That's another reason why we're so interested in the fragile middle. If you look at the last 30 years, there's an economist called Branko Milinovic, who was at the World Bank, is now at the City University of New York, did some incredible work looking at who gained from globalization over the years between 1988 and 2008, after the fall of the Berlin Wall to the global financial crisis. And what you discover is that actually globally, the people who gain are this fragile middle that we talk about. The people between 2 and $10 a day are the people who saw their incomes rise most over that period. 
And that is what gave you that great leveling out of inequality across the world. But what you discover when you look at individual countries is that it's been going the opposite direction. And that is a little bit where the statistics that we tend to focus on in terms of big gains in economics tend to obscure the real picture a little bit. If you look at per capita GDP in a place like India or a place like Indonesia, it's gone gangbusters in the the last 20 years. But if you look at income distribution, it's a very different picture. And that's where inequality comes into it. And that's where you start getting a fragile middle that risks becoming an angry middle. We saw that in Brazil last year, where you had riots that were essentially people in the fragile middle complaining about investment in infrastructure, investment in public transportation versus the millions that were going into preparing for the World Cup. You look at places like India, where you still see people who are heavily subsidized by the government for food and for fuel. You look at China, the hukou system, which James has talked about. There's a lot of frustration in that fragile middle, and, and that is all about, when you get right down to it, the inequality that they see, the fact that some people who have gained hugely from this growth in developing economies are driving Ferraris, and others are struggling to, to put a roof over their head. So there are important political implications from the slowdown and the consequences for the fragile middle, but there are clearly important consequences for businesses, which, as we said, have invested heavily in the emerging markets frontier over the past few years. James, can I ask you, are businesses rethinking their strategy? And do you think they need to, given the slowdown, or the future is still really bright for emerging markets and companies don't need to worry about that? I think this presents quite a lot of challenges for businesses. The first is the fact that these 2.8 billion members of the emerging middle class across emerging markets represent a potentially huge consumer cohort. And this is a consumer cohort that many multinationals are only just beginning to address. But it really could in the future, if the ascent up the wealth ladder of this cohort continues, it really could reshape the destinies of many multinational companies in the consumer space around the world. But it's beholden on these multinationals, therefore, first of all, to understand these people better. I mean, many of these people just exist at the extremity of the vision of multinationals around the world. Their tastes, their preferences, how they live are really not well understood. So the first challenge for multinationals is to do their homework and to dig deeper into the deep context of these emerging markets. And the second challenge, I think, is to be ready for the reversals that we've been talking about in this podcast. This is a vulnerable group. These people are vulnerable to sudden changes of fortune. And if that were to happen, then obviously companies should have contingency plans ready for that. But overall, I think at the moment, the emerging market space is set to grow this year, although, as you've mentioned, at rather more moderate rates than we've seen over the last few years, certainly since 2009. But we're not expecting a huge number of emerging markets to sort of fall deeply into negative growth. That having been said, there are areas of the world that I think companies should keep a close eye on. And some of those I mentioned earlier, the metal producing commodity reliant economies of Africa, such as Zambia, Ghana, and to an extent, South Africa, and then of course, in Latin America, Chile, Peru, and Brazil. And China itself, I think is vulnerable to something of a slowdown as this year wears on. That's it for this week. My thanks to Sean Donan and James King. 
World Weekly is produced by Katie Carney. Till next week, goodbye. For more downloads, go to ft.com forward slash podcasts. When your skin feels nourished and glows, you radiate confidence. Osea makes giving your skin a glow up easy with their clean, clinically proven Mega Moisture Duo. This seaweed-powered duo features two of Osea's best sellers, Andaria Algae Body Oil and Andaria Collagen Body Lotion. Glow from the inside out. Get 10% off your first order with code GLOW at OseaMalibu.com. That's O-S-E-A Malibu.com, code GLOW. Here at Bellingcat, we get to the bottom of things. From a global crisis to an underreported event, we find the facts using publicly available tools and resources uncovering what is hidden on and below the surface. We connect the dots using social media posts, satellite images, and public records, and empower others to do the same by sharing how we do it. The ability to do so is only made possible by our readers, supporters, and community members. Care to join us? Learn how at bellincat.com.